Okay, so today we'll uh, go through chapter 23, God willing. So uh, it speaks about several things. And the focus seems to be on uh, holiness and compassion. Uh, in verses 1 to 8, we read about <clears throat> uh, a certain group of worshippers uh, who are disqualified from the assembly of God. And 9 to 14, uh, it mentions about a slave who has escaped and how they should be treated. And verses 15 to 16 uh, speak about hygiene uh, in the camp. And then it goes on to speak about uh, how we should keep the vows that we make uh, to the Lord. And it ends with uh, uh, how the farmers uh, should take care of their neighbors who are walking by the farm. So, so we'll start with verses uh, 1 through 8, uh, which speaks about uh, groups of people who are disqualified. Uh, from the congregation of the Lord. Okay, so it speaks about four uh, groups of people who are disqualified from the congregation of the Lord. Uh, the first one is a castrated or emasculated man. And the second group speaks about uh, illegitimate children. Then it speaks about Ammonites and Moabites. Then speaks about uh, Edomites and Egyptians. So the first two groups are disqualified for the next 10 generations, which seems uh, like a long time, or we can take it as they are they can never enter into the congregation, uh, whereas the uh, Ammonites and the Moabites, they are restricted for uh, three generations. Okay, so the first verse uh, speaks about uh, a castrated man uh, who is uh, disqualified. So it speaks about a man whose body is uh, mutilated, and because of that, uh, he is deprived of the uh, reproductive function. So the eunuchs uh, would fall uh, into this category. So they would be uh, disqualified from the congregation of the Lord. And the mutilation could have, been, could have taken place uh, accidentally, or it could be something that they did on their own, or it could be forced uh, by their masters or by their kings, or they might have done it to please the pagan gods. Uh, so no matter what the reason is, uh, if their body is uh, mutilated or castrated, then they are uh, disqualified from entering uh, the congregation. And we also read <clears throat> uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 1, it said, uh, you are the children of the Lord your God, uh, you shall not cut yourself. So this would be an extreme case of mutilation, which uh, disqualified them from entering into the assembly of God. But later on, we see that the eunuchs, uh, they find grace and blessing. In Isaiah chapter 56, uh, three, and, uh, 3 to 5, it says, uh, Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, uh, I am a dry tree, uh, because they cannot reproduce. So that could be their cry, uh, that they are a dry tree. Uh, For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbath and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant. So verse 4 speaks about, uh, we can say, a eunuch. <laughs> Uh, who's uh, maybe he's redeemed or he's uh, following through on the covenant and he is, uh, uh, he is faithful to God. And if that is the case, there is a promise that is given even unto them, uh, unto them, which means unto those who please the Lord and keep, take hold of his covenant, uh, will I give in my house and within my walls a place so they are able to enter uh, into God's house and more than that, it says they will have a name uh, better than of sons and of daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name uh, that shall not be cut off. 
So obviously the Unix, uh, they cannot uh, reproduce. So in that sense, uh, they won't have a generation, but here uh, God is promising that they would have a name uh, that is better than of sons and daughters and their names uh, shall not be cut out. So we see that our God is a loving God. On the one hand, we see guidelines that are very harsh, but at the same time, we see that when a person uh, turns back to God and obeys God, uh, God is merciful and he gives them a great promise. And also we see in New Testament in Acts chapter eight and verse 38, uh, we read about the eunuch uh, who is able to uh, see the gospel truth and he's also baptized uh, at the same time. So he's able to receive the gift of salvation and he is able to enter the family of God, uh, even though he is a youth. And in Leviticus uh, chapter 21, uh, 17 through 21, uh, there's a fairly long list uh, where it speaks about uh, people who are disqualified uh, from priesthood. Uh, as it says in verse 18, uh, whatsoever man he be that hath a blemish, uh, he shall not approach. So we see that God takes uh, certain things uh, very seriously. And here there's a list of things what God considers uh, to be a blemish. And because of that, they cannot uh, participate. So it says a blind man, a lame, or he that has a flat nose and so on. Uh, so there is a long list. So no man that had a blemish of the seed of Aaron, the priest, shall come nigh to offer the offering of the Lord made by fire. Uh, he had a blemish. Uh, he shall not come nigh to offer the bread uh, of his God. So this uh, applies uh, only to the priests, uh, not to the general public. Uh, so if you are blind, doesn't mean that you cannot enter, but you, you are disqualified from priesthood uh, based on the laws of those times. And second verse uh, speaks about uh, children who are illegitimate and they're also disqualified from the congregation. And a child would be considered uh, illegitimate uh, when they are born out of uh, unapproved uh, union uh, of man and woman. So that could be from incest or it could be unmarried couples or it could be children of prostitutes. So all of them are illegitimate uh, children and they are uh, disqualified from the congregation. So even though the mistake uh, is not made by the child, but it is made by their parents uh, who chose uh, a wrong step, uh, but their children are disqualified from entering the congregation. And in Leviticus uh, chapter 18 and also chapter 20, uh, there is a long list of relationships uh, that are forbidden uh, in the eyes of God. So that is a warning uh, for them. And it is also a warning for us uh, not to be engaged uh, in a relationship that is not holy or that is uh, forbidden by God uh, because uh, there will be consequences on us and it will also impact the next uh, generation uh, because of the sins that we commit. So we're not going to read those chapters, but uh, it speaks about uh, an intimate relationship with uh, immediate uh, family members, or it could be with the in-laws, it could be with relatives, it could be with grandchildren, or it could be with neighbors, which would be an adultery, or with beast. So all of these are relationships that are prohibited, and they would be sin in the eyes of God. And then it goes on to uh, list the Ammonites and the Moabites, 
And we know that uh, both the Ammonites and Moabites, they came out of incest uh, because of the relationship between Lot uh, and his daughters uh, that we read about in Genesis 19. So those two groups are also exempt or prohibited from entering the congregation of the Lord. And it gives us uh, specific reasons uh, why they are uh, excluded. The Ammonites, because uh, they did not extend hospitality to Israelites uh, when they were on their way to promised land. And the Moabites, uh, because they hired uh, Balaam to curse the Israelites uh, that we read about in Numbers uh, 22. But we know that uh, God converted the curse uh, into blessings, uh, which is a reminder for us that the outsiders uh, cannot really curse us uh, because God's protection is uh, on our life. So we don't really have to worry about curses uh, from the world or from the outsiders. And here it says the Ammonites and the Moabites, they are barred uh, until the 10th uh, generation. But uh, again, as we saw in the case of eunuchs, uh, we saw God's grace. And in the same way here, also we see exceptions that were made and God was uh, gracious. Uh, and we know that uh, Ruth herself uh, was a Moabite, uh, as we read. And then we read about uh, Edomites and Egyptians. And Edomites, uh, they are the relatives of the lineage of Esau. And they are prohibited uh, until the third uh, generation. And the Egypt, uh, they're also uh, prohibited uh, until the third generation. Uh, but uh, the Egyptians, uh, they were a mixed uh, blessing to the Israelites because uh, when Israelites crossed into Egypt the first time, uh, they were looking for food and they were able to get food in Egypt. So in that sense, uh, it was a blessing. And we also see that the Israelites multiplied uh, during their time in Egypt. Uh, but at the same time, we also know that the Israelites were oppressed by Egypt Egyptians. So in that sense, uh, it was a mixed uh, blessing. But, so, but we read here that God did not want the Israelites to forget uh, what the Egyptians had done to them uh, during the initial stage. And in many ways, the survival of the Israelites uh, was possible because the Egyptians were hospitable and they provided food uh, during time. Of and verses uh, 9 through 14 uh, speaks about personal hygiene and public health uh, in the camp or when they're going to war, uh, what should be followed? Yeah. Some... Okay, so here the focus again uh, is on some practical issues, uh, but the reason is also given to us. Uh, since the Lord is moving in the midst of the camp, uh, he expects the camp to be a place of holiness and also a place uh, of cleanliness. So here, when it speaks about cleanliness, uh, the focus is more uh, on personal uh, cleanliness. Uh, the issue is not uh, something that is immoral or something that is sinful, but the uncleanliness uh, in the camp uh, is caused uh, because of low uh, hygiene standards. So it's very explicit uh, in saying that uh, the sanitary uh, cleanliness uh, should be maintained uh, within a camp uh, setting. So obviously this would be men uh, who are uh, in conflict or who are preparing for war. So they are told not to be lazy or accidentally uh, urinate inside the camp. 
but they should go outside. And once they've done, they should dig uh, and cover the refuse. So again, it seems like very uh, practical instructions or very common sense uh, instructions, but obviously these instructions were needed, uh, otherwise uh, they won't have been given. So the reason for cleanliness uh, is again, uh, common sense that if there is lack of hygiene uh, in a camp setting where there are many people, uh, it would be a public uh, health hazard and it could also lead to other diseases and others uh, getting sick. Uh, so that's why they needed to keep it clean, just like we tell our children to wash their hands uh, before they eat and so on. And more important, uh, we read in verse 14 that God is walking in the midst of the camp. So God is present uh, in the camp and he's walking about. So that is again uh, a great uh, truth and a great fact. God is the one who led them uh, from Egypt and he is taking them to the promised land and he is present uh, in every setting and they should be conscious that God is with them all the time. And if God is with them all the time, then they should also maintain high standards uh, of holiness and also cleanliness. So that would be something like if a guest is coming to our house, then obviously we would try to keep the house clean in the same way here God himself is present uh, in the camp and they are expected to keep it clean. And, and we know that Holy Spirit uh, lives uh, within us. So we should be conscious of the spirit of God uh, living within us. And if that is the case, uh, we should pursue holiness uh, and purity in all that we do. In verse uh, 15 and 16 uh, speaks about a slave uh, who has escaped uh, from a foreign land or a foreign community and what should be our response uh, when he shows up uh, in our camp or in our door? Should he be arrested or should they be sent back to the master or should they be given a refugee or asylum status? Yeah. Okay, so here we have a slave who has run away from his master and the assumption is uh, he's coming from a foreign land or a foreign community because uh, if they're part of the local community, then obviously uh, if you find a slave, you would return them back uh, to their master. Uh, otherwise, uh, it would lead to chaos uh, because if the slaves are simply running away and going to different people, then that will uh, upset the system. But in this case, the assumption is uh, they are coming from a different land and they are seeking uh, refuge. So uh, obviously they are uh, running, which means they are escaping uh, treatment, bad treatment uh, from their master, or maybe they are seeking freedom or better uh, working conditions. And we see that uh, all the time in the news, uh, people are escaping uh, difficult uh, conditions. Uh, oftentimes uh, it's poverty or it could be religious uh, persecution. And they look for a place of refuge uh, where they can uh, take care of themselves or they look for a place where they would feel safe and they can also take care of themselves and their family. But in this case, uh, we have a slave and we are told uh, if we see that person, we should not send them back uh, to his master. Uh, we should grant them uh, asylum. We should not uh, oppress them. And we should also give them the freedom uh, wherever they want to live, uh, they should be given the freedom to live. So in a sense, we 
uh, see here that the Israelites, uh, they need to show compassion to the refugees uh, who are showing up uh, at their door. Uh, even though they might be slaves, uh, they should be treated uh, with respect and they should be uh, taken care of. Yeah, so that's 15 and 16. And it just jumps to a different topic, uh, 17 and 18. Uh, speaks about uh, prostitution and tainted offering. Okay, so again, uh, it's pretty uh, straightforward. So it's saying that the Israelites, uh, whether male or female, uh, they should not uh, engage in prostitution. So that could be prostitution that's taking place uh, in a pagan temple or any other setting. And in King James, uh, it says dog, which uh, uh, refers to a male prostitute. And it goes on to say that money that you earn uh, from prostitution uh, cannot be offered to the Lord. And the broader uh, principle here is that uh, money that is earned from any uh, illegitimate or illegal source, uh, it should not be brought as an offering uh, to the Lord. So the Lord is not uh, looking for our money. Uh, he is looking for our heart. He is looking with what intent uh, we are giving our offering. So if our heart is uh, tainted or if our motives are impure or the source of our offering is not legitimate, then we should not bring it uh, into the house of the Lord. So firstly, we need to give our hearts to the Lord. And when we give our hearts to the Lord, we are also able to examine ourselves and we are able to bring our offerings uh, in a way which is acceptable to the Lord. And we are also able to give our offerings uh, cheerfully, as the Bible says. 19 and 20, uh, again, it speaks to it, uh, jumps to a different subject, uh, speaks about lending on interest. Okay, so here it speaks about uh, lending to Israelites and lending to uh, strangers or lending to foreigners. And again, the overriding principle here uh, is that the spirit of compassion uh, should guide our actions. Uh, especially within our own uh, community. So here that principle is applied when someone is in financial need and if you're lending money to them, uh, you should not uh, charge interest. So we should not use our wealth uh, to exploit the poor. So if you're going to lend uh, money to someone who's poor and if you're going to charge them interest, then you're actually adding to their burden, you're adding to their sorrow, you're adding to their difficult uh, situation. So here the guideline is given to them that uh, if you're lending money uh, within your own community, then you should be compassionate and just give it uh, without expecting uh, interest uh, in return. But if you're giving loans uh, to foreigners or strangers, uh, then you're permitted to uh, receive interest so obviously, when, when we put money in the bank, uh, we expect to get some interest. But when we are lending uh, within our own community, uh, we should not charge interest. And verses uh, 21 to 23 uh, speaks about keeping the vow that we have made uh, to the Lord. Yeah, so making a vow or promise to the Lord is something uh, that we should take uh, seriously. And that is the warning that is given to us here. The vows that we are making, uh, it is voluntary. But once we make a vow, uh, it could be of actions that we want to take or offerings that we want to bring uh, to the Lord. Uh, once we have made the vow, uh, we should not break it. 
And if we break it, uh, that would be uh, considered a sin. And we read in uh, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, when thou wast a vow unto God, uh, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Uh, pay that which thou hast vowed. Uh, when we give a word to go back on our words, so people should be able to trust uh, what we tell them. And it speaks about, I will go into thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows, which my lips have uttered and my mouth had spoken when I was in trouble. So we also might make uh, many promises uh, to the Lord uh, when we are in trouble or when we are facing a challenging situation. Uh, we may say that if the Lord uh, delivers us, uh, we will do this and that uh, for the Lord. But oftentimes we may break uh, those commitments. Uh, but here we see that the psalmist uh, is saying that I will go into your house and I will keep the vows that I have made when I was in trouble. So that should be our testimony also. And the last uh, two verses, uh, it speaks about God's uh, provision uh, when you're traveling or you're simply uh, in the neighborhood. So here it says that uh, if you are simply traveling or even if you're just walking around in the neighborhood, then it's okay to glean and eat uh, the grapes or the wheat uh, kernels. Uh, that you may need for your immediate needs. But at the same time, uh, you should not abuse uh, that privilege or abuse that opportunity. So it makes it clear that uh, you should not uh, carry out in baskets or you should not use a sickle uh, to cultivate the wheat. So obviously it's a privilege and it's a provision that is made, uh, but you should not uh, abuse it. And looking at it from the side of the farmers, uh, the principle is uh, they should not be greedy, but they should be compassionate uh, to the poor and those who are in need. So again, we see that the principle of compassion uh, is connecting to these two verses. And when we go to the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, uh, a familiar incident, uh, it says, at that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, uh, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do uh, upon the Sabbath day. So here the disciples were being accused. Uh, they were not being accused of stealing because uh, they were, uh, it was okay to pluck the ears of corn and to eat uh, when you're traveling and but they were being accused of breaking the law of doing some work uh, on Sabbath day. So it's a mixed chapter, chapter 23. It speaks about uh, different things, different subjects, uh, but the underlying theme uh, could be the theme of holiness and also the spirit of compassion. So in verses uh, one to eight, uh, we saw that certain groups of people are excluded from the congregation. Uh, a man who is emasculated and uh, illegitimate child, and we also saw the Ammonites and the Moabites, uh, they're also excluded. But at the same time, we saw that the Egyptians uh, were had favor because uh, they had been good to the Israelites uh, at the beginning of famine. And the same way Edomites, uh, they are considered part of the family, so they are not excluded. Then verses nine to 14, we saw some uh, practical things uh, in terms of why uh, personal hygiene uh, is important 
uh, in a camp setting. And in 15 to 16, we saw that if a slave is <clears throat> uh, fleeing uh, harsh conditions, then you should not send them back uh, to their master, but you should give them uh, asylum. Uh, you should treat them with respect and you should take care of their needs. And 17 to 20, we saw that uh, the Israelites uh, should not uh, engage uh, in prostitution and they should not bring the uh, money that is earned uh, from prostitution uh, as an offering. And we also saw that uh, money <coughs> should not be lent uh, on interest uh, to those uh, within the community. Okay, and we ended by saying that uh, if we make a vow, we should also keep it. And if you're traveling, you're welcome to pluck and eat, but you should not abuse that privilege. <clears throat>